take your Bible and turn with me to, uh, well, let's look in Deuteronomy chapter 12. We've been addressing the issue of meeting God. And here's the thing that, that we touched on last week that I want you to really remember is that God has always desired and always provided a place for man to meet him. God wants to meet with his creation. He wants to meet with man. He wants to engage him. He wants to interact with him. He wants to love him. And this awesome, wonderful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God chose to meet with us. It was his desire. It was his desire in the garden to meet with Adam and Eve. He provided a garden to meet with them. It was his desire to meet with the children of Israel, and he met them at Mount Sinai. And they said, no, we don't want to meet with God, Moses. We want you to go meet with God and then come back and tell us what he says. And then God said, "We're gonna, I want you to take up an offering, and I want you to make, I want you to build a place for me to meet because I want to meet with you. I want to know you. And so all of this, 1 Corinthians tells us that all of this is for our example. It's for all of us to learn from primarily to learn not to do what Israel did, but to do something different, to walk in obedience to the Lord. And so my, my, my hope for you, I, I'm, I mean, I'm just hitting the highlights. There's a lot in between that's very noteworthy. So I'm hoping that you'll take Exodus and Deuteronomy and then Chronicles when we get over there and go back and read and fill in the gaps. I hope you see some chronology of how this happened, that they came out of Israel, they came out of Egypt, and they met God at Mount Sinai. And then from Mount Sinai, they went what would have been an 11-day journey had they gone straight to Kadesh Barnea to go into Jordan, I mean, to go across the Jordan into Canaan. But because they were disobedient, they spent 40 years in the wilderness, and it was there that God created the tabernacle for them to meet in. And that's what we saw last week in Exodus chapter 40 when Moses, when Moses did everything the Lord told him to do and made the, 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 the tabernacle exactly as the way the, the Lord commanded, then God committed his glory, his presence to that meeting place. And by doing so, he was saying, this is where I will manifest my presence. This is where I will reveal myself to you. And it from there that God would give guidance and direction from that place. All right? Now then, 40 years have transpired. And for 40 years, they met God at the tabernacle. And he brought them back to Kadesh Barnea. The generation that had rebelled against God died off. And here was a new generation. And God said, I'm going to take you into the promised land. Moses, you're not going. You're going to die here, but I'm going to take this generation into the promised land. So there was a 40-year span there that they worshiped at their tabernacle. And just before God takes them into Canaan, he gives them new instructions. And if you look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 12, he says, 
These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. I'm giving you instructions for how to live in the land that I have provided for you when we cross Jordan. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. You shall not act like this towards the Lord your God. Boy, that's pretty severe, isn't it? God said, I don't want any of these other places of worship to stand. I want it to be clear when you get to the promised land that there is one place to meet me. And it's not a place that already exists. It's not an adaptation to something that's going on. I'm going to give you a new place. And then he says in verse 5, But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come. You'll bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithe, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. They, then there also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. I'm giving you a brand new place. Here's a brand new people. We're going to a brand new land, and I'm giving you a brand new place to worship me, a place to meet me. And then he says, you shall not do at all what we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Now, what it, he, he's referring to something here. He's rever, referring to the way that he wants Israel to worship. Okay? And he says, I don't want you to worship at the place or in the mode that all of these other people are worshiping. I want you to destroy all of their altars, all of their worship places, and I am giving you a brand new place to worship. I don't want you doing what every man is doing now, and that is what he wants to do on his own. Now think about that. Think about the relevance of that. He's saying, I I, I have a place for you to worship. I have a place to meet you. It's not like any other place. And I don't want you doing what you think you ought to do. I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. You'll see the relevance of that in a little bit. For you have not as yet come to the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. When you cross the Jordan and live in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around you, so that you may live in security. And it shall come about that the place in which the Lord your God will choose for his name to dwell, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contributions of your hand, and all your choice votive offerings which you will vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice 
before the Lord your God. You and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place you see. Don't worship, don't attempt to worship in the place of your choosing. That's strong. That so is un-American. Un-American is you worship when you want. You worship where you want. You worship how you want. You worship in any manner you choose to worship. Whatever makes you feel good, you worship there. Whatever church makes you feel good, you worship there. God says, you only worship where I choose for you to worship and to meet me. Be careful that you do not offer your bond offerings in every cultic place you see, but in the place which the Lord your God chooses in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. However, we'll stop there, all right? So look in chapter 16. Go over a couple of verses. I want you to look at this. He gives all of these feasts. Feast of Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Weeks. And here's what he says in chapter 16. We're just going to skim through this. Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. Where? Verse 2. Where the Lord chooses to establish his name. Verse 5. You are not allowed to sacrifice the Passover in any of your towns which the Lord your God is giving you. But at the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name, you shall sacrifice the Passover in the evening at sunset, as the time that you came out of Egypt. You shall cook and eat it where? In the place which the Lord your God chooses. Now look at verse 10. Then you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Well, where? Verse 11. In the place where the Lord your God chooses. Then verse 13. You'll celebrate the Feast of Booths. Where? Verse 15, in the place which the Lord your God chooses. And he sums it up in verse 16. Three times in a year, all you males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Weeks and at the Feast of Booths. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. He says, everything you do, every transaction that takes place between me and you, I have a place to meet you, and I have a place for us to worship. God declared that when his people come into the promised land, he will choose a new place to dwell and a new place for them to meet him, no other place but the one that he chooses. Now, that's pretty significant. In fact, in Deuteronomy, look with me in chapter 14, he says something that's very interesting, and I misread this these passage for a long time. It was only as I went back and studied this that I really see what he was saying here. It seems to indicate that where you worship is even more important than what you bring to worship. All right? Now watch here. Look in verse uh, 22. Deuteronomy 14. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses. He didn't say eat it in memory of me. 
He said, eat it in my presence. I'm going to be there. I want you to come into my presence, and I want you to eat this offering in my presence at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Now watch this. If the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to set his name is too far away from you when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. A tenth of everything they owned, okay? And he says that, that was the tithe. I, when, you, when it comes time to worship, and you have to gather up all these sheep and all these lambs and all, this, all of this stuff to go worship, and that just seems unreasonable. And if it's too far for you to carry everything to this place to worship, I want you to sell everything that you've got, take that money, and then go to the place that I have chosen to worship. He still focuses on the place. He doesn't say go anywhere you want to. It doesn't say if it's, if it's too far to go, just stay where you are. He said if it's too far to go, sell what you need for the offering. Go to the place that I have chosen, and look what he says there. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires. Now, you don't see that very often. Not very often does God say, well, just do what you want. But here he says, when you have come to worship, you've chosen the place that I worship, when you get there, spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. Whoa! Have a drink. Let that sit a minute. I'll read it again so that I didn't put it in there. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink or whatever your heart desires, and there you shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God and have a party and rejoice you and your household. That's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? But he still was a stickler for the place. Okay? When you get there, meet me at this place, and that's where we'll do it. What are you going to do? Whatever's in your heart. Celebrate. Rejoice. But do it at the place that I choose for you to do it in. All right? That's pretty intense. Don't just pick a place of your own. If the tithes and offerings are too large to take to the place God chooses, turn it into money, take money to the place he chooses, buy what is needed, and have a party. Now, one more thing. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, there was one other thing he mentioned here. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 8. He says, they had, they had established, they had delegated. Moses had delegated. Rulers, they, he, he, it was too much for him to do on his own, and he had established a pattern where you would delegate the responsibility. And here's what he says. 
if in any case, if you've got a case, a situation that you're trying to resolve, you've got a negotiation, you've got something to arbitrate, you've got something to mediate, and if any case is too difficult for you to decide between, for instance, one kind of homicide or another, between one kind of lawsuit or another, between one kind of assault or another, being cases of dispute in your courts. If this case is too big for you to resolve and too big for you to handle, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. So you shall come to the Levitical priest or the judge who is in the office in those days, and you shall inquire of them, and they shall declare to you the verdict in the case. You shall do according to the terms of the verdict which they declare to you from the place which the Lord chooses, and you shall be careful to observe according to all that they teach you. Here's what he said. If you guys that are delegated in accepting responsibility for resolving, for resolving conflict and you can't resolve the conflict, you come to the place where I live. Come to the place where I abide and seek the answer to the resolution of that problem. And then you must do whatever we declare, I declare in that context. Here's what he's saying. Disputes which can't be settled are brought here to find the mind of God. Why? Why go here? Because God was there. Where do I find the mind of God? I find the mind of God wherever God is. And this is where he was. This was the meeting place. And when they find it there, it was settled once and for all. The final word was the word that came from this place. Okay? Now, please remember, all of this is a shadow. All of this is a symbol. All of this is a type. We're following the shadow to the reality. And all of these things, it's important to grasp because what it's going to do is reveal to us what God wants to do in his presence now. Here we are. What do I do? How do I handle this situation? I've gotten counsel here. I've gotten counsel there. I've sought this person. I've gone to my authority. I've gone to these leaders. And I can't resolve it. Where do I go to resolve it? I go to the Father to find the mind of God. And when I find it there, the case is closed. It's settled. I don't have to know anything else because this is what he wants me to do. And he says, be careful to observe everything that you hear in that context. All right, 40 years they've been in the wilderness, fixing to cross over into Canaan. They finally get across. And when Israel settled in Canaan, they settled first at a place called Shiloh. David wanted to build a temple to house God's glory. Now, how David got there is a story in itself. And that'd be good for you to read that to fill in the gap. Because we're going from Deuteronomy, they're just about to cross over, over into 1 Chronicles, where now David is the king of Israel in Canaan, in the promised land. And David wanted to build a house for God. He wanted to build a temple to house God's glory as represented by the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence. 
But God said no. No. David, you're not going to get to build the temple. You're not going to be the one to do it. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, excuse me, 22, verse 6, we find out why David was not allowed to build the temple. All right, look with me in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. But your son will do it, David said. Uh, God said. Now, who was David's son? Solomon. Okay? So God said to David, David, I know it's in your heart to build this temple, but you're not going to get to do it. I want to show you why. But I want Solomon to build it. Look with me in chapter 22. And David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to gather the engineers who were in the land, the stone cutters. He prepared large quantities of iron and made the nails for the doors of the gates and the clamps and the bronze that could be weighed and timbers of cedar logs beyond number of the Sidonians and Styrians brought large quantities of cedar timber to David. David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore now I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. David knew he couldn't go in, but he set the stage for Solomon to build it by preparing, by gathering materials, by gathering workers. David sets the the preparation. Solomon, when he gets old enough, he starts the work on the temple. And David pulls Solomon aside and says, I want to explain to you why you're building the temple and not me. All right, and this is important. Verse 6, he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had intended to build a place to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Interesting, isn't it? David said, God said, you're a man of war. You're a man of battle. You're a man of death. You have shed blood on the earth, so much blood that you will not have clean hands to be able to build the temple. Behold, a son will be born to you who shall be a man of rest. Isn't that cool? You're going to be a, he's going to be a man of rest, not a man of war, but a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. That's important. Okay? God had already said to David, I will establish the house of David over Israel forever. Here's the first seed of that, Solomon. That commitment to David is transferred to Solomon, all right? That's important. You're going to see that later on the test. Now he says, now, my son, 
The Lord be with you that you may be successful and build the house of the Lord your God just as he has spoken concerning you. Only the Lord give you discretion and understanding and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinance which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So David explains to Solomon why he's not able to build a temple and explain to him what his responsibility was in building the temple. His responsibility was be obedient to the Lord. Don't forsake the commandments of the Lord, and God will bless you in that if you do that. Now, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, Solomon, I bet it's real hard to keep up with me when you don't have a Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 5, Solomon takes all of the resources that David provided, and he builds this temple. What was the purpose of the temple? To meet God. Hadn't changed. The same purpose as Mount Sinai. Same purpose as the tabernacle. Same purpose in the temple. It was to have a dwelling place for God in order for God's people to meet him intimately. And David, Solomon builds it. Thus all the work, chapter 5, thus all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated even the silver and the gold and the utensils, and put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled to Jerusalem the elders. He did all that he was instructed. Then, verse 5, they brought up the ark and the, out of the tent of meeting. They brought the tabernacle to, where, to Jerusalem, and they took the ark of the covenant out of the tabernacle, and they ushered it into the temple. For the, verse 7, then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the house to the holy of holies under the wings of the cherubim. All that sound familiar? Exactly the same place, the thing that happened to the tabernacle. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles. There was, verse 10, there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel. Now look at verse 11. When the priests came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without regard to divisions, they had prepared. Seen that before? God said to Israel, prepare, the way, prepare, prepare yourself to come up and speak to me he said at the tabernacle, prepare yourself to come to speak to me and hear me. And he says again here, they prepared the way of the Lord for him to come. And all the Leviticus singers, Asaph, Haman, Judithim, and the sons of kinsmen, clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar, with them 120 priests blowing trumpet in unison, when the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify God, when they lifted up their voice accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, 
And when they praised the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for his loving kindness is, of, uh, is everlasting. Then the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of God filled the house. Sound familiar? Just like the other two places. What's God saying in doing that? He's saying, I'm here. I am here. I was there. Now I'm here. This is the place to meet me. This is the place to interact with me. This is the place to worship with me. The ark was brought from the tabernacle to the temple. And in verse 14, the temple was filled with the glory of God. Look in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. Then Solomon said, in Solomon chapter 6, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, Solomon offers a prayer of dedication to the Lord. Verse 6, this is important. The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have built you a lofty house and a place for your dwelling forever. Then the Lord, the king, faced about and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David and has filled it with his hands today. Now, in verse 18, Solomon asked the question, But will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servants and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you. And your eye may be open toward this house day and night, toward the place of which you have said that you would put your name to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and hear from your dwelling place from heaven, hear and forgive. All right? Now look in in verse 36. When you sin against, when, when they sin against you, and there's no man who does not sin, and you're angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take away captive to a land or near. Look in verse 36, 8. If they turn to you with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of the captivity where they have been captive and pray toward their land which you have given to their fathers and the city which you have chosen and toward the house which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven, from your dwelling place, their prayer and supplications, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now look in chapter 7. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. That was God's amen. I like what's been done here. Now, I want you to notice some of the things we skipped over and those we just breezed over in there. You want to know how a prayer is going to get to the Father in heaven? It's going to come through the place on earth where God dwells. When God came to live in the temple, he didn't leave heaven. His authority was still established in heaven. 
But you want to touch heaven? It goes through the place that God created on earth for his dwelling presence. And he says, when you pray, pray here because it comes through here to there. He hears there and answers here. Pretty significant place, isn't it? Now, there was a guy in California. This was back right after I met met the Lord and moved to California. He said he had rebuilt the altar that Ezekiel talked about in Ezekiel and that it was his altar that all the prayers in the world came through and ascended to heaven. It had wheels. It was kind of like them pinwheels, you know, that you blow and they spin around. He had those things on there. He had places of incense. He had all of these things designed, he said, exactly to the instructions that Ezekiel gave. And he said that all the prayers in the world come through his altar to the Father. My thoughts, as you can imagine, were, oh, what did we do before you built it? How did we ever get to God before you built it? And I thought, you mean to tell me that this has now taken the place of the glory of God dwelling in the earth? But this is where it came. And listen to me. I want to tell you a little secret. It's still that way. It's still that way. All right? We're getting through a lot here. We're covering a lot. Um, uh, he filled his tabernacle with us. Now look in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. This is God's response to Solomon's prayer of dedication. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, the next two verses, we never quote them in context. We just snatch them out and quote them as if we're going to use them to make God do something. And the context is the dedication of the temple. And by the way, this wasn't Solomon's temple. It was God's temple. Okay? We misname it. Solomon was the builder, but God was the inhabitant. And God comes and he says to them, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrificing. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered where? In this place. In this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, If you walk before me as your father David walked 
even to do according to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinance, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father David, saying, you shall not lack a man to be ruler in Israel. That's important. Okay? God said, I have made this covenant with David that he would have an ancestor on the throne of Israel forever. You are the first seed of that. I am making that covenant with you. God declares verbal approval of his dwelling place. Prayers will be answered there. His name will be there. He will be there to meet his people, and he gave instructions to Israel. Now, some back then, and I am making an assumption, partly because I know a little bit about mankind, Some back then probably said, well, isn't God everywhere? Can't I meet him wherever I want to? You mean we went to all this trouble to build this place and God commits here. Well, I thought God was everywhere. Couldn't we just meet him anywhere we want to? God said repeatedly, his presence was here. And it was here that he would meet his people. And for 410 years, this was the place to meet God. And it was the only place to meet God. God coming to abide in the tabernacle and later the temple spoke volumes to Israel and ultimately to us. With his glory being manifested, he was shouting, I am here. Here I am. I am not hidden. I am here. I am here. And most of the trouble we have is not in us not finding God. It is in us hiding from God. God said, I am here. I am here. Why didn't he just say, hey, look, I'm everywhere. Meet me anywhere you want and any place you want. Well, I can't speak for God and answer that question from him. But here's what I know. I can't be everywhere. I am here. I am limited by time and space. And so rather than God saying, you have to come to me, I am everywhere, God said, I am coming to you where you are. I am revealing myself in time and space. Infinity invaded the finite. And God said, I am here. You can't be everywhere. I am here. Listen to me very carefully. If I keep trying to know God as the God of everywhere, I will soon find him to be the God of nowhere. If I keep trying to find God as the God of everywhere, I will soon find him to be the God of nowhere because I can't be everywhere. 
but I can find him where he is. In Solomon's, in Second Chronicles 6.18, Solomon knew that no building made with man's hands could ever contain all of God's presence. And you know what? He built it anyway. He built it anyway. Even knowing that this can't contain all of God, but it's a place God has chosen to dwell, to manifest himself, and I can meet him here. For God was saying, I am here. I choose to abide here. I choose to manifest, exhibit, reveal, show forth myself to you here. 22 times. 22 times he says, this is the place I choose to meet you. To hear your prayers for you to minister to me. In Numbers and Deuteronomy, Israel is repeatedly instructed to destroy all other places of worship in Canaan and worship exclusively at the place God chooses. He didn't instruct him to examine the other places and see if there's anything there that can be used by God. He said, destroy them. He didn't say, I want you to study their practices and see if any of their practices can be incorporated into worshiping me in order to get the people to convert. He said, this is where I am. This is how I want to be worshiped. This is where I want to be met. And there is no compromise for that. He chose the temple at Jerusalem and no other. His abiding place, his abiding in this place did nothing to limit his presence being everywhere. But his presence being everywhere was just irrelevant to their relationship with him. Yes, he was everywhere. He says, this is where I meet you. Yes, he's everywhere. This is where I hear your prayers. Yes, he's everywhere. This is where you worship me. And his being sovereign and his being omnipresent had absolutely no bearing on them being able to meet him and where they were to meet him because he is here. I can't even comprehend omnipresence being everywhere at the same time. You can't either. We can't operate. I mean, mothers think they can, but you can't. You can't be everywhere at one time. God can. And God said, I know you can't comprehend omnipresence and being everywhere. No worries. I will meet you here. I come to you. And I'll meet you here. Now listen to me. God still has a place to meet. It is singular. It is singular. And he has chosen to meet us at one place. Now, and I know we hit the ground rut and covering a lot of stuff. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework. I want you to find out, as we looked at Exodus, Deuteronomy, Second Chronicles, or First and Second Chronicles, here's what I want you to look for. What took place in a meeting with God? What was it that took place? Now, I'm not talking about, all we think about is the rituals and the, the sacrifices and the incense and all of that, but I want you to look at what God said 
would take place at this meeting place. All right? I want you to look at what did God say would take place at this meeting place where he dwelt. All right? That's your homework for next week. What, did, what takes place? What is it that took place? We, we mentioned some of them today, but there's quite a few more. And they're relevant. Every single one of them is relevant to our walk with the Lord today. What took place in these things? All right. Now, I know there's all these rituals and there were all these, uh, or, there were all these things that the priest had to do, but God wanted more than that. And we see that in what he said. Okay? He didn't tell the priest, go get your offering, bring it in here and have a party. He told the people that. Rejoice. All right? So look at what God said he wanted to take place in these meetings with him. All right? Any questions? Yeah. Bring your Bible. It's going to be real hard to keep up if you ain't got it. You might, for all you know, I made this stuff up. Whether it's a phone or a pad or whatever, you don't have to. I mean, I, I'm not of the consensus that God only speaks through the written word. Okay? But bring it. It'll be easy to keep up with this. Anyone else? Anybody have a question or an announcement we need to make? Yeah. I think I know the answer, but I'd rather. So when David writes in Psalms 139, and he's talking about, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, he goes and speaks about all these, the awareness of his presence being everywhere. So what you're saying is, is there became a, now is this time where I'm going to let my spirit dwell here. Mm-hmm. You're going to come find me here. Mm-hmm. This, was, this was a precursor, mm-hmm. how David saw him and experienced God throughout everything he did changed and there's this change that's happening this movement of God saying if you want to come find me you want to come see me I'm giving you a location here it is mm-hmm. right and it answers the deal that we talked about a while ago about us hiding from God what he's really asking is God if I wanted to hide from you where would I hide and he said there is no place to hide there's no place to run from my presence but if you want to meet me here's where I want you to meet me all right you want to, here we come. <laughs> Stealth. I've always wondered, so um, David said, God said, he could, David couldn't build the temple because he was a man of war. Seems like that's what God had for him to be a man of war. So I've always wondered, where and when did David cross the line? Okay. I don't think he ever did. Here's what we have to understand. Every one of us could have a different purpose. And just because my purpose is not your purpose doesn't mean that your purpose is wrong or my purpose is wrong. Okay? David was a man of war. His responsibility was to conquer nations, and he did that. His responsibility stopped when it came to building the temple. It was in the heart of God. You've you've done this. You've fulfilled your purpose. Too much blood. I don't want you to build a wall. I don't want you to build a tabernacle. So I don't think he ever disobeyed. I think he just fulfilled his purpose and realized what God had for him and said, now I have Solomon to do what I want him to do. He's a man of rest. And, and, and the nation's going to be a place of rest, and that was very strange. 
because in one hand, he said it's going to be a place of rest, but in the other hand, God said, when you get over there, there's a whole bunch of enemy that are going to need to be conquered. And I'm not going to conquer them all at once, but I'm going to conquer them as you walk. Everywhere the sole of your foot touches, I'll defeat that enemy. So there were still battles, but it was a different way of fighting, different perspectives. Does that make any sense? I think he did what God wanted him to do. He wanted to do it, and he said, no, I had purpose, another purpose for you, the shedding of blood to kill nations. Well, it's hard to compare it with Moses because Moses was disobedient. Yeah, Moses took the stones and smashed them, and he said, that's going to cost you the promised land, you know. And, and, and you might think this is, this is torment, but God put him in a place to see it, but never gave him the opportunity to possess it. And yet God was blessing him. I just want you to see. I'm not using this as vengeance on you. I'm just letting you see I'm going to fulfill my promise even without you. My word will be good. Yeah, what a beautiful thing to have your son complete that. Complete that. All right, anyone else?